You're listening to Antioch Center for the Nations. For more information, please visit www.antiochchurch.sg. The title of this message is Radiant. And of course that means glowing with like beams of light. Radiant. And it's taken from the fact that it says that Moses, after he had been with God for a protracted period of time, his face was radiant. So much so that it was frightening to people. Light came from his face. But also in the Bible we see other places, and we're going to return to that story and break it down and see seven things about the purpose of the glory later. But right now I want us to read an introduction. Matthew chapter 17 verses 1 through 5, the famous account of the Mount of Transfiguration. After six days... Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. This word means metamorphosized. Metamorphos in the Greek it literally is where we get that word like a, like a caterpillar turning into a butterfly in the chrysalis or the cocoon. A total transformation. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. And his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. And of course, this is the voice of the Father saying over Jesus that day in the company of uh, Peter, James, John, and of course the visitors from the celestial region who came to join Jesus for this meeting, which we believe was a planning meeting because in another place it says that they spoke about the things to come soon meaning the ministry of Jesus. So there was a very specific agenda and plan that Jesus was walking through according to the will of the Father so that he could die on the cross for us all and be our sacrifice. And he needed encouragement at times. I know he was God in the flesh, but he was human. And so the Father decided to let him meet with Moses and Elijah so that they could kind of talk about what's coming up. It was an exciting moment. And really this amazing event has been seen as the most spectacular manifestation of the glory of God seen on someone in the Bible ever. I mean, we see other manifestations. The aforementioned Moses, which we will cover. We see other people having great things, fiery chariots, picking up Elijah, who is also here. And we see, you know, of course, Moses, a great man there visiting, learning, as Moses also is one that was affected by that. We see both of these people that are there on the Mount of Transfiguration are people who are associated with the fire of God, the light of God, the visitation of God. They had both Elijah and Moses an amazingly intimate relationship with God. Uh, Moses' relationship with God was so close that when his brother and sister Miriam Aaron spoke against him, God came down and said, what is wrong with you people? Now, don't you know that I speak to prophets in dreams and visions, but not so with my servant Moses. I'm so close to him. We speak face to face. And he is close to me. And as a result of that intimacy, Moses had a very close place with God. We know that Elijah was taken up in a fiery chariot. We know that Moses uh, was taken by God, it says, and buried in the hills or in the mountains. God took him away. Nobody actually witnessed that. And I don't know what that means, but God came and took him there. Whatever the case, we see them here, uh, spiritually or corporeally, here present with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, and they're talking. It's a beautiful moment, and we often study it in awe, of course, about the glory of God, how the face of Jesus was shining like the sun. However, there is another story, and the one that I talked about earlier that we want to cover. And as we turn to Moses and the story of his radiant face in ministry, we can learn important elements of what I call the purpose of the manifesto. I mean, these are seven things about the purpose of the glory. Now, a lot of people don't understand what the word glory itself means. There, when it talks about the glory of God 
In the New Testament, it is one word. In the Old Testament, it is another word. In the Old Testament, the word actually means weight, as in heavy. So that the glory of God, when the glory of God came upon people, often they could not stand because it was a weight that came upon them. It's not much different nowadays in the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. God's power can come so strongly upon individuals that you will feel a sense of heaviness, weakness, and it often happens to me in deep places with God when I'm in ministry, when I'm preparing for ministry, when I'm ministering. Sometimes when God comes and decides to do what He pleases, His glory manifests in it, to me, feels like a physical weight. I get heavy. My hands will get heavy. I will feel as if someone has covered me with a viscous oil or something, like I'm covered in something that's weighing me down. And it's consistent with that Hebrew word, which means weight, the glory of God. And also the glory is associated with light that shines forth. The glory of the heavenly host when coming to the shepherds in announcement about Jesus being born, the Savior. The, the glory that came and shined in the, in the holiest place with Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist. We see the glory on the road to Damascus manifesting brightly and blinding Saul of Tarsus for three days. I mean, this is light, but also heavy. It says that he fell under it. So in talking about the glory of God, we see it also as the anointing, the power of God. And But there, why do we need God's glory in our life? Because when we think of glory, often we think of credit or uh, accolades given to someone. Like, okay, if my friend John uh, did this beautiful work of art, and I bought it from him and hung it on my wall, and somebody came and said, wow, that's a really beautiful work of art, I can't say, you know, thank you, thank you. Because the glory is not for me. The glory goes to, or the credit goes to, the one who actually did it. And so this also is an attribute that makes us understand what the glory is. The glory is the credit of God, the favor of God. It is only from God. It comes upon us, and it rests upon us as His favor. It's the same as the anointing. We've studied that the anointing was an oil that was created very specifically by an exact recipe because it was a signature oil put on objects like the candlestick and the table of shoe bread and the incense altar and the priest's garments and the priests themselves. Their toes also, uh, they put blood, many things to mark them, but the, the oil itself was God's name written on them, saying, this is mine. And in the New Testament paradigm today, we see when God's glory is manifested on someone, when the anointing is upon them, God's name is written on them. And I feel the glory of God just talking about it. Very exciting to experience the presence of the Lord. But that is proof. How do we know that God is indeed upon someone, in someone, moving through them, or that they are operating in the authority or the permission of God? Well, it's simple. It's His glory. That connected to His Holy Spirit. Again and again, we've seen in the New Testament, all arguments concerning what was God and what was not God was decided by one simple thing. Does not our heart burn within us? Shouldn't we have known that that was Jesus on the road? He said then, just like us in the beginning, the Holy Spirit fell upon all of those that heard the word. And then the argument about the fact that there were Gentiles was a mute point in the council of the leaders of the church because God just put his name on it. He anointed it. If he's on it, then how can we argue with that? St. Peter going to the house of Cornelius, same thing. When he related the Testament, because he got in trouble for doing that. Wasn't supposed to do it by Jewish tradition. And he even said it when he entered the house. He said, look, first of all, this is illegal. You know it is not lawful for me, a Jew, to meet with you Gentile. But the Spirit of the Lord manifested, and that was the evidence, the proof positive, the glory of God is the proof that God is in something. How did they know, the Israelites, how did they know that God was really with them in the wilderness? Well, duh. There was the glory manifested as an actual tower of fire at night and cloud during the day that cast a shadow to protect them from the heat of the sun. God's presence, His power, the glory of God was there. And the glory is a very real and powerful element of not just the historic accounts of the Old Testament, but of us today as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I believe that there are many churches 
and many groups that are not really appreciated and thereby valuing enough to place a demand on the manifest glory of God. And if they did place a demand on it and insist that according to the pattern of the Word of God and what we see in the Scriptures, that God could manifest, well, how much more potent, powerful, and convincing would their witness about Jesus be? If it's anointed, if the glory of God is one, if when we speak and we tell someone about Jesus, correspondingly there is also this weight that comes upon them. And of course I speak um, preaching to the choir here tonight. A lot of you know the glory, you've experienced it, and you know this to be true. But for the sake of anyone that may be listening online, I like to labor the point again and again so that we have clarity about this. But here, then, okay, we have the glory. And we ask the question, well, what would the purpose of the glory be? Well, there's many purposes for God's glory to be upon us. The one that I just mentioned is prevalent above all. It is Him saying, this is mine. But in the story of Moses, in the account of his radiant face, I found some interesting principles, and I'm going to get a little deep tonight concerning what I refer to as me in a position as a custodian, and you count in this category as well, we are custodians of the anointing of the Holy Spirit. It is given to us. Now, it's dangerous for us to over overthink the anointing and decide that it is a sovereignly operated thing that God alone controls. He does not. He gives it to us just like the talents in the minas, just like all the other things, the wisdom and the Bible itself. He gives us the glory of God, the anointing, so that we can use it in such a way that it will be effective and powerful. And I'm going to go into some depths about that subject tonight, but I want to start with number one concerning the purpose of the glory. The glory is connected first to words and covenant. It always is. Then the Lord said to Moses in Exodus 34, 27, write down these words, for in accordance with these words, I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. Now, of course, the words that God is talking about to Moses here are the words of the covenant or the Old Testament, primarily the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, though the Torah, those five books given to Moses, Moses wrote them down, and that then was given over to the people. Uh, we all have a tendency to focus on the Ten Commandments, but the Ten Commandments, if you would, were the, they were the table of contents for the law. It's a good way to think of it, that when you open a book and you want to know what's in the book, you can look in the table of contents and get a good idea about what's coming up. That's pretty much what you find in, first he says the table of contents and gives, the, you know, I'm the Lord your God and brought you out of the land of Egypt, you have no other gods before me, you know, don't have idols and, you know, do not steal, do not kill, do not commit adultery. He goes through these things. But if you follow along in the law from there, he actually amplifies each of them extensively. And that's why I say it's like a table of contents. This is what God is telling Moses. Write down these words. As far as the table of contents, Moses didn't have to write that down. God wrote that down himself with his own finger. He just took tablets of stone and God put the table of contents or the outline of the law in his hands and then Moses fleshed it out by direction of God directly face to face. He was basically like a cleric. He was a secretary of God writing down whatever God said. Of course, we believe this and accept this. And this was the beginning and the purpose and the whole reason why God manifested in the life of Moses. So we start by looking at the ministry of Moses and, and its purpose and function. His, Moses, what was his purpose and function according to God's plan? Well, he was separated. He was empowered by God to set people free. Those people in this, in this paradigm were the Israelites who were the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and on down um, Jacob, and then as they were brought to the land of Egypt, they multiplied, and over that 400 years, they became a vast group, and the Egyptians feared them, and you know they were brought into slavery. Well, those are God's people. So people in bondage in Egypt, God heard their cry and decided, I have to set them free. 
But really, this is indicative of all missions or ministries of everybody. If you connect with God at all, the glory of God will always be connected to a mission or an operation, a covenant that he wants to establish, always with the aim of setting somebody free. Jesus gave his manifesto, if you would, his declaration in the book of Luke when he stepped the first time he preached coming right out of the wilderness, having passed the tests of temptations. He went right into the church and he took the scroll of the prophet Isaiah and he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me. And then he goes through a list of things and one of the first things it says is for to, to, to set at liberty those who grew. It says, deliverance for the captives. So it's been the same thing all along. But Jesus, Moses came to set the Israelites free. For God so loved the world, he gave his own son, so that whoever believes in him would not be in bondage or perish, but would be set free also, have eternal life. So Jesus came as a type of Moses to liberate us, to call us out of darkness into his light, and bring us into this freedom. But it's funny that, or not funny so much as just interesting, that the same Spirit of God manifesting the same glory was then, and it is now. And it was on Jesus. And Moses had this ministry. This was done via the glory of God. And really the words that God gave him, the covenant, uh, they would make them, the people that he was going to, a whole new, an entirely new society, a nation separated, different than anyone else. And that would be the distinction between them in fact, the only difference between them and every other people group on the planet was the glory of God. The presence was with them. He said, I will be with them and that they will know because I'm with them. And that would be proven by the fact that they had his laws. And nobody else had those laws. So, when we encounter God for the first time in our lives, we find that God is calling us to do something, like Moses. That something is, of course, always to be a messenger. We convey information. We make a covenant with God so that we can get other people to make the same agreement with God to be His people. So we get saved, we call it. We receive Jesus as our Savior. We're set free. Our names are put in the Lamb's Book of Life. But we are empowered. And the glory comes upon us for one reason and one reason only. You shall receive power if the Holy Spirit has come upon you to be witnesses. So there is a type of misspending or improper custodianship of the anointing or the glory of God when we're not doing that. Because that's the only reason he gives us the glory, so that we are empowered to help people be free. It's not something given to us that we can just take and cuddle and, and oh, we have the glory of God, let's wrap it up and keep it safe. I'll bury it in the backyard like the talent that the one that that man buried in the backyard. No, it's supposed to be Use. It's supposed to come through us. And that's exactly what Moses did with the glory of God that was on his life. And the glory manifests firstly to get our attention and secondly to empower us for mission. And this pattern can be seen throughout the Word of God. All throughout the Bible we see this again and again. Moses was the same. Think about what got Moses into this position to begin with. The only reason he's in this position to where God is trusting right his words is because God appeared to him with a mission in a burning bush. The glory seen burning up the bush, he went over to see. This is a strange sight. How could it be on fire and not be consumed? When he went, God spoke to him. You know, Moses, take your shoes off. You stand on holy ground. Well, who are you? Well, I am that I am. And there, the great I am revealed himself to man, to Moses. And the first thing out of God's mouth after I am, and I'm sending you to, to set people free. Because that's always, whenever God comes, the angel Gabriel appeared to Gideon, it's the first thing he told him, I'm sending you. When Isaiah had the encounter, was caught up into the heavenly place, I see the Lord high and lifted up. And he said, you know, who shall we send? He said, I'll go. And he, it was so that he could send Isaiah. All these people were sent to do things all corresponding to the glory of God. We, we established this first, the glory. You want to know why? What's the purpose of the glory? Well, it's, it's connected to words and covenant. And those words are the covenant of freedom that God leads us to bring. So the glory of God manifests to get our attention, but then to empower us for mission. Number two... 
Where is the glory found? Well, the glory is found with the Lord. Now, this ties into purpose, where it says Moses was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights without eating bread or drinking water. And he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. Now, this is interesting to see that for 40 days, 40 nights, Moses is not eating, and he seems to be quite content there in the presence of the Lord because the glory is found with the Lord. That's where it comes from. If we want God's glory in our life, it comes only through one thing, and that's intimacy with Him. And that is manifested in the relationship we have, displayed in the face, it says, in 2 Corinthians 4, 4 through 6, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ, this Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. In other words, the ones that are entrusted with this light or this glory to help people understand it. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Now we're referring back to what we saw on the Mount of Transfiguration. It says that light, his face, shined like the sun. So that display that Peter, James, and John saw for themselves and were able to be totally changed by it. There's no way you could not be changed by viewing that. And they felt like dead guys. Uh, they couldn't stand in that presence and Jesus had to go raise them up. They saw that light. That's how we know the story because they wrote it down after. Even though they're told at that moment, don't tell anybody about this. Jesus said, no, don't, just don't say, they're not ready for this. This is the next level stuff and they're not going to get this. So you just keep this in your heart for now. Later on, uh, you can tell the story. But as for now, let's take this one step at a time. But they saw this in the face of Jesus. Now this scripture is talking about and really, Paul writes extensively to the church in Corinth about Jesus and the glory of God manifesting through him and how that affects us, changes us, and causes us to be able to become something new, something we have not been. So really, the display on the Mount of Transfiguration was transformative, not just to the ones that were there, but to us today. So that same display, in fact, I mentioned that word uh, metamorphosis only appears two times in the Bible, that same Greek word. One is in the Mount of Transfiguration, and the other is in the passage where it says, we'll see later, where we are changed from glory to glory. And that's us being transformed. That comes from what we see. We'll say, well, how can I see in the face of Jesus? Is he just going to show up here tonight? physically stand there. Well, I wish. I think that would be a really nifty thing if Jesus could physically stand here. But we don't need that because we have the Holy Spirit. And we do not see, you know, by it, it, we do not live by sight. We live by faith. And when we look into the Spirit, to me, the reality of the Spirit surpasses the reality of this world. It becomes more real to me than anything. This past, um, what was it, Sunday? Yes, Sunday. Gosh, the glory of God came so strong upon me for a moment. You just heard me squealing and screaming up here. And all I could say was, Daddy. I mean, I've had many encounters with God. His presence came. And I always have this sense that um, in my perception of the Father, He's always near me. And the Holy Spirit wraps around me. Jesus is in my heart. These are ideas. But this was different. The Father, uh, as I was worshiping, the Father was standing near me. And he, it's while I'm playing, it got hotter and hotter and harder and harder to breathe. And it's like he stepped over me and, and encompassed me with himself. It's hard to describe. But in that moment as I was shaking, I felt like the Father was all around me. Like I was in God. It was so beautiful and so wonderful. And the only word I could say was, Daddy. I just kept saying, Daddy, like it was so powerful. You know, people can come to this church, they'll see some of the crazy things that we do, and they may think we're nuts, but honestly, it doesn't really matter. I'm so delighted to have the presence of God in those manifestations. They say what you want. Often, in those moments, I'm not aware of you anyway. I'm so, I don't want to hurt your feelings, but I'm so wrapped up in Christ. I don't, I, I don't know if people are here or not. 
I'm just lost in my father and I'm so happy to be there and excited that all of us can have that opportunity. So here we say, let light shine out of darkness. He makes his light shine in our hearts. We look into the face of Christ in these encounters, in these experiences, and we're transformed every time our faces look into the face of Jesus. So the glory of God is really what alters our earthly state. When we are with the Lord, uh, when we are intimate with Him in prayer, in worship, in our home time, and here collectively in the synergy of the church together, two or more gathered, that, that corporate anointing of His presence is powerful. In that moment, we are changed. God does great things to us, and the glory of God alters our state. So the God factor of us in earthly ministry is the glory shining in and through us. And I often say it because it's true. God can only be as real through you as He is to you. And if you have not come to a place where God is so real to you that it has eradicated all doubt and you're in a place of enlightenment that's so extreme that doubt is funny. You understand? But doubt can become humorous. Like, that's just pathetic. It's pathetic to think, how could anybody doubt? Because I've had such experiences that I say, generally, we have had. If you get to that point, that is a state of enlightenment that gives so much power so that when you speak of Him, you speak as if you're talking about the taste of coffee. Because you have had coffee, right? You drink coffee, you know the taste of coffee. You can tell somebody about coffee because coffee. You don't have to imagine coffee. Because you, you are a partaker of coffee. You've tasted of the goodness of coffee. Like it says in Hebrews 6, those that were once enlightened have tasted of the good word of God and the powers of the age to come. Well, then we can represent him in such a way. And as we look deeper into, into Moses and the story of his radiant face in ministry, we can learn important elements about this. And so the first two that we've already seen is, of course, that the glory is connected to these words and the glory is found with the Lord, so it behooves us to constantly deepen our intimacy with Him. To constantly push into a place where we are close with Him. Number three, the glory makes us radiant as we speak with God. Now, number three is very important. Look what it says here happens in the story. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. Now, there's a lot here. There's a lot here. Uh, don't, don't worry about her, Dad. It's quite, it's quite common that you don't have to be embarrassed for your friend. Believe me, we all do this all the time. When God is present, we are tickled. He's, he, he's like a father that likes to play with his children. He'll go coochie, coochie, coo, and tickle us, and it's wonderful. It's his reality. He was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. Now, that's important that you hear the words. In other words, because he had spoken with the Lord, his face was radiant. So we start to see a key here, an important key. Because he has spoken with the Lord, his face was radiant, but he didn't even notice. And this, this goes to show the priority of the, the elements of God. God's speaking to us is far more important than God's glory upon us. And this way you always hear me talk about the voice of God, the Word of God. As we just reviewed, uh, Jesus said that to the Pharisees, you err because you know not the Scriptures nor the power of God. There's a balance between Word and power. But the priority is always that. Why? If we had to ask the question, this answers the question. Why was his face glowing? Because the glory was upon him. Yeah, but no, deeper than that. Deeper than that. We all know. Yeah, stop focusing on the glory. Start focusing on the catalyst for glorification. Where does the glory come from? It comes from God's words. That when you hear His precious voice, when He speaks to you, your face too will glow. You might not even be aware of it, but the glory makes us radiant as we speak with God. 
You know, when I meet someone, I can often tell if they've been praying or not. It's very, very obvious to me. I can tell by the degree of radiance. They come in glowing, and I know they've been talking with God. That's why I have kind of a little bit of contention with sometimes, I believe there are true intercessors in the body of Christ. But I also believe there are people who claim to be intercessors, but they walk around with sourpuss faces like they've been sucking on lemons. And that honestly is not consistent with what I see, what comes out of the presence of God. It says in His presence is fullness of joy, not toil. Now, in that moment, you may war in spirit, you may fight, you may pray, you may be moved and even experience anguish in, in, but every time, expect that He will let you taste of it, experience that, but He will give you joy. Radiance will come to you. You will be radiant. You come out looking like you did something wonderful. If you've really been in a relationship with God, you are satisfied. You look like you are happy. You have that dumb smile on your face. You know that young person in love look? You know, you have a friend of yours, they're always kind of melancholy and sour, and then one day you see them and they come in and they're like this. You're like, what's the deal? What, what's, did you meet somebody? You know, that when they fall in love, you can see it on their face. That's an intercessor. That's what you see. You see it on their face. They look happy. They look satisfied. They look fulfilled. Spiritually completely gratified. Because that's what comes from the presence of the Lord. Fullness of joy. Pleasures forevermore. Yeah. That's really simple, isn't it? It's exactly what it says. So the glory makes us radiant because we're talking to God. Who's not going to benefit from talking to God? Not just talking at God, but because He had spoken with the Lord meaning that's a dialogue. God was speaking to him. Moses, write this, write this, write that. He was receiving that information as part and parcel of his function as a messenger. Once again, we always point that out. There's nobody just sitting there taking stuff in for themselves in the Bible. Everything is a means to an end. Everything is a job. God has a very serious work ethic. And everybody he meets, he puts to work. Nobody in the Bible does he visit and say, I just want you to be happy and just stay there and do nothing. And just No, it's always, I have called you to die. You know, it's like it's always some very heavy mission. Everything, God, life. That's why when we covered the parable or the story of the vineyard owner going looking for hired hands to work in the harvest, remember he went out and found people all day. Jesus said, the kingdom of God is like this. A guy is looking to put people to work all day long. That's God. That's every patriarch, every character in the Bible. They were given a task specifically to fulfill, as well as Moses, as well as us. Oh, what is our task? Oh, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. It is a, the great commission, a mandate given to us. But we're reading. It's important to understand that the effect of the glory of God depends upon hearing His voice. Uh, many people can be in the presence and not hear the voice of God. And this is an interesting kind of a paradox. We see instances in the Word of God where God spoke and people didn't quite hear it while others did. Same place to look at Acts 9, 4, 9. He fell to the ground. This is the story of Saul of Tarsus, Paul, and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city. You will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. It doesn't say the voice. It says the sound. They heard something. In other words. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus for three days. He was blind and did not eat or drink anything. So these people are on the road. God, the glory of God, shined around him like the sun. He says that's his testimony. It's so bright it blinded him. And he heard the voice of God and spoke with Jesus to receive a mission. You are a chosen vessel. He would send him to the Gentiles, once again, give him, come to give him work. 
And in that moment, those people just heard the sound of it, but doesn't say that they heard any articulate speech. Even further evidence of this, of this enigma concerning the voice of God, John 12, 27, Now my soul is troubled. What shall I say, Father, this is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane? Save me from this hour? No. It was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. And that's very clear words in quotations. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd that was there and heard it said it had thundered. And that thunder is not a voice. Thunder is thunder. But there were people there that heard. John obviously understood it because he wrote it down in his narrative or his story, his account of the gospel, the non-synoptic gospel outside of Matthew, Mark, Luke. John wrote his own account, and here he writes, yeah, it's what he, I heard, I have glorified it, and will glorify it again. He spoke, but other people there heard thunder. Because we can be in the same place at the same time, and God can be speaking, and some will have ears to hear, and other people will not have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. And that's the issue, it's spirit words. We perceive them on such a level or depth of reality that it seems like an audible voice to us. Really, it's, it's that gray area, that margin between spiritual and corporeal, earthly and heavenly, that God speaks. That's why God is good at speaking in the twilight of you, when you're just waking up and you have that moment of sleep paralysis. You know that moment where you... God can speak to you easily at that moment because really you're in a transition between two realms. The dream state, dreams are just your brain working in overdrive, creating things from whatever bits of information or food or morsels, you know, <laughs> indigestion, it could be anything. But God can speak on that plane because he has you arrested in a moment where you cannot employ too much of your own thoughts. He can inject things. He does speak in dreams. And in visions, or trances even. I've actually been in a couple of trances where God knocked me out so he could talk to me. And I, I wish he would do it more often. I really enjoyed those moments when it happened. But honestly, it happened both times, three times that it happened, I was in a very crucial and needful place to convey information that was extremely important to the mission of God on earth. And that's like Paul, uh, um, Peter on the roof. He put him in a trance because... This was the first time the Spirit would be poured out on the Gentiles. This was a transition point that would change history forever. And those are the moments. But God can speak to you when He wants to speak to you. But are you listening? Will you hear? Do you have ears to hear? Will it sound like thunder or will you hear a voice? Well, God's glory comes upon you so that you can. Glory will come speak to us, but we need to be ready for it. We need to be waiting and begging and asking God, placing a demand on the voice of God. And the ones who connect that way, they your face will become radiant. You will shine. I, I tell this story all the time, but it really was a cool instance that was in a revival in New Mexico, a state in the United States of America, and we did, we were doing three services a day, um, and two main services and a middle service. We did it for eight days constantly by, it was so powerful. The visitation of the Lord came so strong. By the time we were in the fifth day, um, people could not enter the church properly. What I mean by that is they were losing consciousness in the doorway. Like when, and people also had to be drugged out of the car park because they got out of their cars and passed out. I'm not exaggerating. It was such a powerful, it was a revival. And they had to bring the people in, you know, they didn't want to leave them out there. It was cold and snow was coming. It's in New Mexico, actually Los Alamos. This is, uh, Los Alamos is very famous for the development of the nuclear program in the 1940s. I mean, that's the guys that made the bomb that was dropped on Hiroshima. But anyway, that little town, highest percentage of PhD holders in the United States of America in a small town. And I went and preached you know, these, I felt so inadequate. You know, like, what am I going to preach? I was like, I don't know much, but what I got is the anointing, and boom, it hit. And no matter how educated they were, they were on the ground. And God manifested himself greatly to them, and during that time, it was so wonderful. After one of the meetings, it was late, and I wanted a, a Diet Coke, 
and a bag of chips, and we just we swung by the convenience store, and I ran because I just I was only getting about four hours sleep a night, you know, because I had the whole order wake me up to get the next message ready. It's revival, what you can do under the anointing, and I went in this convenience store, I put my coke, my diet coke down, and my chips. The lady behind the counter looked at me and went, and backed away, and she reached over to her friend that was behind the counter with her, and slapped her. What do you want? She looked at her friend. She said, look at that man's face. And she, she looked up and looked. The other lady looked at me and did it twice. Huh? And they're staring at me. I'm thinking I got some big booger hanging out my nose or something wrong, checking my fly. And I'm like, what's what? And one of the lady looked at me and said, I, I swear I see light coming out of your face. Like light. And then I, I knew, oh, oh. So I wasn't aware of it. Just like Moses wasn't aware of it. You're not conscious of it. You don't go in the bathroom, look in the mirror. Look at that. You know, No, you're just living your life with God. And he'd been speaking to me message after message after message after message. Not 40 days. Maybe if it had been 40 days like Moses, I would have been had to put a veil on. But it was enough for those ladies to see it. And I explained to them. I said, oh. I said, actually, I'm here working as an evangelist doing a revival. And I've been preaching service. I, oh, I knew it, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And they were both Christians and a couple of African-American ladies. And uh, they, they loved me. I loved them. They were so happy. Great experience. But it's possible for us to actually, for people to see God's glory on you. Amen. Number four. The glory is for passing revelation from God to man. We know the covenant comes, but more importantly, it says in verse 30, as we continue in the 34th chapter of Exodus, when Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant, and they were afraid to come near him, because it's scary. But Moses called to them. So Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him. They came back to him, it means they ran away from him. You understand? So he came down on a mountain. He don't have a clue. He's just like got his tablets. He's coming down there, and he's like, Poof. you know, his face is shining, and oh, they're they're running away from the freaky light face guy coming down the mountain. But he's calling to them, hey, hey, wait, guys, wait up for me, wait, where are you going? So Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back, and he spoke to them after after settling that, getting them to actually calm down. All the Israelites came here. And he gave them all the commands the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. Now, of course, this is an amazing manifestation of God's glory and power. And we see that Moses, even though the people were afraid of the glory on him, he gave them all the commands the Lord had given him. So really, that's the glory there. That, that was an authenticator of this information being of God. Because the, the supernatural component was a man's face was glowing. When he gave this information, there was very little doubt concerning its origin. This is exactly a beautiful picture of why the anointing and the glory is on our lives. So that when I prepare a message and I share it with you, out of me, maybe it doesn't manifest always as a radiant light like it did in that one instance. Actually, there were three different instances where people saw light in my face. But maybe, I wish it would do it pretty regularly. But honestly, if it did it pretty regularly, I then would become a strange phenomenon and likely locked away somewhere or, you know, something or people would kill me. Or you'd be surprised what the miraculous can do. It, it, it almost got Jesus murdered a thousand times. Why he had to keep running away till ultimately it did get him murdered. And that was nailing to the cross. But so it's not always a good thing to have your face shining. That's really kind of leading us toward where I'm getting at with this message. But he's doing what he was told to do. Uh, he gives the word. This reveals the purpose for which the glory of God comes upon us and flows through us. And I find that the reason why God anoints people is because they're conveying heavenly information to other people. They receive it. They're excited about it. But that's the thing about ministry. You can hear all you want, receive all you want, and be blessed, but it's really not of any real value until you give it away. And then in the preaching of it, that's where your reward comes. 
and God anoints you to be able to do that. I get revelations all the time. I'm thrilled about them, but I don't let any of them escape me. I write them down because I have an obligation to share those things with you and with many churches around the world. So excited today to get an invitation to Neas, all expenses paid. Said so this year, 2018, I've been, I went to Neas the other day years ago. We had an amazing um, uh, revival, healing revival, where a real miracle took place and we saw people healed. But I'm going back and somebody wrote me an email today. Would you please come to Neas? I, we will pay, the group that, that wants to bring, they will pay for everything. I said, we'll pay for airfare, food, hotel. It's all in us. Just go. And I just wrote back, when? Because that's an easy sell. You know, yeah, of course. Somebody else wrote me from India and said, well, you know, when are you coming? And, and, and my thought was, well, you know, because they thought they saw me post on my Facebook that I'm going to Neas soon. I'm excited about it. But I didn't say there. They're footing the bill. They're paying for everything. Yeehaw. I didn't write that. But they wrote, said, well, you know, you said you're coming to see us. And I had to be honest. I said, yeah, but you didn't say you're going to pay for it. And I'm working very hard in faith. I've got to raise money to go as many nations as I can and do what I'm doing. And God is manifesting that. I mean, I made a choice to go to Cambodia and on the second trip in for Teaching Nation Session 2 with the group there. And this is fascinating. I actually took screenshots of both the deposit in my account and the ticket price because they're the same. Um, and they were not connected at all. The ticket was $166, counting the fee at 7 11 to actually do the purchase. And an, an anonymous, not if it's anonymous, but a donation was made from the U.S. in the Antioch church website for me, for an amount that translated into from U.S. dollars to $166 Singapore. Exactly the price of the ticket. So I just made the choice, bought the ticket, and somebody, God had, God's got stuff figured out. He'll cover it. Expenses will come. But in this case, you know, I'll go to India, yeah, but hey, if you're paying, I'll be there, no problem. And there is something about placing a demand on the anointing that's in different ministries and doing so by valuing it enough to pay for it. Okay, I'll pay. I'm not looking for rings and boats and accolades. I just, just want to get there. Once you get me there, I don't even need to sleep. Just stand me up. I'll preach and teach. You know how long-winded I am. I'll keep going and going and going. I'll talk forever. Because it's what I do. It's what I enjoy doing. The glory of God is upon me for the passing of revelation from God to man. I have no other purpose for being on earth. If I can't continue to do that, I'd sooner die. I'd rather die and just go home. There's no reason for me to breathe. And Moses is operating in that. And the glory, they were afraid of it, but Moses was conveying massive amounts of information from God to his people. The law, all those laws, some of them so boring, but yet very important. All those things he was writing down. The transfer of power of glory causes his face to luminance. And the fear of the people, of course, can be seen. Really, I see it more like respect for the vessel. Now, you're going to honor somebody whose face is lit up. You're going to like be a little careful with it. You may run away from them first, but they'll call you back. Wait, come here. So that's what happens. If the manifestation of the anointing comes through us, it does frighten people. Uh, like the time I was in, in Tokyo, and that guy saw, this guy was visiting the church, he was not a believer, that, that morning I preached and he saw a ball of light appear above my head and it stayed there the whole time I was preaching. And at one point toward the end of the message, a voice in Japanese, of course, because God speaks Japanese, came out of the light to the guy in the congregation and said he was Jesus accepted. And that guy was a non-believer, Shinto, Buddhist, just... Never. He came to church because his, to honor his mother because his mother went to that church. Never believed. He always just sat in the back, wasting time just to, just to honor his mother. But that day he got saved. And then we went to his house that evening to a fellowship in the house. And when I walked in the door, he was so scared, he backed up against the wall. And I said, hey, 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 I'm not the light. Don't be afraid. I don't walk around with balls of light following me. It was for you because of God's great love for you that he showed you what he showed you. That guy, by the way, is still in the church today and a very good friend of my, um, of my, my son Tony who's there and, and really, I believe, will be instrumental to help them do the next things that God is calling them to do. Number five, don't worry, we're coming to an end. The glory must be administrated properly. When Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. 
Now there's a learning curve here concerning this degree of glory on someone. It came upon him. He saw that unfettered, uncontrolled, not limited at all, just coming out of him, even though he wasn't aware, he was kind of ignorantly doing this, it was difficult for them to accept. And they couldn't quite understand it. And it frightened them. And so, he, I imagine that as he made his way around the camp, he was scaring little kids. And old ladies were crying, and people were running, and he was a monster. You know, he's walking around, uh, he's, he can't turn it off. It's there. So his, the mechanism he used was simply a veil over his face to limit the degree of light coming. And really Moses had a choice to cover it or not. And it doesn't say God told him to put a veil on his face. You understand? This is what I was thinking about today. So the fact that his face was shining, that's amazing. And really one might think that, well, why didn't he just let it shine? You know, let it shine, let it shine. Just, just you know, let the glory of the Lord shine out of you. Walk around, luminescing at everybody. And, but he found that it wasn't the most productive presentation of the glory. And that he had business to do. He had things to accomplish. And so, being that the glory was on him, and he was stained, well, so why did he cover it? Well, he covered his face because people could not understand the anointing. They were frightened ignorant about the glory and how it was manifesting through Moses. Moses knew that it was simply an extension of his relationship and intimacy with God. He figured out, well, the reason I'm glowing is because God is my best friend. And, and I just, I'd rather be with God than anybody. I spend all my time with Him anyway. I miss Him when I'm not there with Him. That's all I ever want is to be with Him. And so I have to be there. I have to relate. This is why He sent me. So I'm going to reserve that type of thing for the right moments. And he begins to administrate or cover. He decided to cover it because he wanted to keep it holy and special. He administered the anointing in increments when the time was right. And we'll get that in a second, but you know, I've learned this lesson through the years. Uh, at first in 1995, when in April 7th, 8.45am, when the glory came upon me, and that anointing began to operate in my life. I I had no veil. There were no limits. I was like a three-year-old with a double-barrel shotgun fully loaded. And I just kept pulling the trigger. And I now amazing things happen. I'm not going to lie. Miracles and a lot of things happen. But afterward, I started finding out that the fruit of those happenings was not really consistent with fruitfulness or productivity. And in fact, that in some cases it did more harm than good. In some cases it drove people away from God. Now, it, I'm sure it's the meddling of Lucifer, Satan coming to deceive people concerning that. But what I mean by that is the manifestation was so extreme and so powerful that instead of people just being wowed and falling on their knees and saying glory to God, some of them were frightened, like Moses and the like, and decided that that can't be God. In fact, went as far as to say that it's not God, but there are demonic spirits and the devil's working there, and some people actually believe that. And people even begin to say those things. And I started feeling somewhat responsible for not properly ministering the anointing that was upon me. And I started learning how to do it. And it's taken years and years for me to get where I am today and understand how to do it. And you know, even Jesus had a tendency of hiding his glory. Why did he sneak up on top of a mountain to do that? Why did he tell him, don't tell anybody? Because he knew that people weren't ready for that. There are people who are ready, people who are not. There are realms into which I can go in the Holy Spirit and experiences I can have in the Holy Spirit that I do not necessarily feel will be helpful to everyone in a given moment to share. Just too extreme. It's frightening. The things that happen to me sometimes in the presence of God are scary. But the beautiful thing is I'm in a group of people here where you know we are pretty much connected in that regard and we experience it the same way. So I'm safe here. But when I go and minister in other churches... Sometimes you might find that I seem to be holding back. It's because I'm holding back. 
Because until that church is ready, I can't really, I can let it out. This is the amazing thing. I can at a given moment just let it out. And release the anointing that's upon me and it will do something amazing. But it might not have the fruit that, or the productivity of it. It may be more connected to, even in some strange way, the personal desires of pride to be seen as anointed. And what good is that? That's not benefiting in the long run. There's a way that you can incrementally expose people to the glory of God so that you lead them along little by little. And honestly, I've seen many amazing men of God with the anointing. I've witnessed men of God with very strong moving of the Spirit's power in their lives, and um, some of them use it in an unproductive manner. Not just myself. I see it sometimes happen. And younger ministers may be able to access the deeper realms of God and because really it's free for the taking. And they press in enough and they get these encounters and they have these great things and God's Spirit, Spirit will come upon them and they, God will anoint them. They're enlightened and empowered, but they might lack the experience and the expertise. And so they kind of give the Holy Spirit a bad name. And in other words, someone may see something going on and decide that God... God, will they use scriptures against the whole movement? Say, God's not the author of confusion. This looks like confusion. Of course, I could retort the fact that on the day of Pentecost, they claimed they were drunk, so they saw the same thing. That they were manifesting, and something was going on there that made them look drunk. It was because they were speaking in other languages. No, I don't walk down an orchard and see people speaking in other languages and assume immediately they're drunk because they're not speaking English. No, they're doing something that appeared like aberrant behavior. Which means they were falling over and they were laughing and they looked drunk. What do drunk people do? Go look, go to any bar. You can hear the laughter down the street. Ha 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 ha. Falling off the bar stools, and that's obvious. You can tell when somebody's drunk. Because they like, what? They're hyper emotional, laughing too loud, saying stuff like, I love you, man. You know, I don't think I've told you I'm in love you know, they get all, like, to, like pull it down a notch, man. Just, you know, the, the alcohol is amplifying things. I find that the Holy Spirit can do that, too. And, and so, whether people expose that to that or not in the right way, I think it's important. And when we misspend the glory of God, uh, we can cause harm. There's a, there's a, and this is really the thing, there's a, there's a time and a place to do it. And the glory has a place and a time. But whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, he removed the veil and he came out and said. So he developed here kind of a ritual. He developed a routine of how, how the fact that the glory of God was shining through his face would be most productive. There was a moment that he did and a moment that he didn't. And it's true. There's a time and a place for everything. Uh, and the glory has a place, it has a time, and we do have the ability. Now, think of the anointing of the Holy Spirit, like I said, as talents given. And Peter referred to the power of the Holy Spirit in parallel with silver and gold. Remember at the Cape Beautiful? Silver and gold I don't have, but what I do have, and what came out of him, the glory of God that brought healing. So, it is something that is up to you to spend or not spend. This is what it meant when he says to you, I give the keys of the kingdom and whatever you bind will be bound, whatever you loose will be loose. You have control over this power. I give you power, but you, you decide. Because the Lord works with us. And this is the problem. We have to understand that in a given moment, we can release this, but we have to realize the glory of God upon you is not sovereignly controlled by God. God, and this is a problem, a lot of people get together and pray and hope God's going to do something and they're waiting for the sovereign move of God. And it doesn't work that way. It's not even biblical. Well, what do you mean? Is, the, is God is God and He's sovereign? Yeah, of course God is sovereign. But when it comes to the manifestation of the Holy Spirit and the glory of God, it says since the days of John the Baptist, the kingdom of God suffers violence and the violent take it by force. Everybody that got anything from Jesus during the time that Jesus was there, they did it by force. Their initiative. That's why he kept saying, your faith has healed you. Your faith made you whole. Because they pressed in and took it. And that's very important to understand about the anointing. We are. The, the tongue of the prophet is subject to the prophet. 
And so it is with the anointing. So we need to learn. We are the custodians of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit given to us, and therefore we have to use wisdom in releasing the power of God at the most opportune times. Amen? Number seven, we're going to finish with this one. The glory is for representing God. Bottom line, this is my conclusion. When he came out and told the Israelites what he had been commanded, they saw that his face was radiant, that Moses would put the veil back over his face until he went in to speak with the Lord. So he developed a system. Sometimes it's covered, sometimes not. Sometimes covered, sometimes not. He metered out the way the glory came through him. And it's a beautiful image of how that happens. And that's important that we understand. And I wanna, I'm going to skip through. There's a lot of information here. And um, I do want to go into this last thing about the glory ministry because this, we are seeing the analogy of the Spirit exemplified in the story of Moses. But we're not the only ones that have seen this. Paul saw this and goes through quite a discourse in his letter to the church of the Corinthians to parallel or speak about Moses and his face and what it means to us. So now I've preached to you what I think. Now let's listen to what Paul thinks. It's a little different than what I think because I was pulling some other analogies out of it. Look at this. The glory ministry of the Spirit. Four facts. Number one, it's more glorious than the old. He says in this letter to them, Now, the ministry that brought death, that is the law, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was. Will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? That's, yeah, obviously. Greater than that. Now you would think, boy, I wish my face would glow. Paul said, no, 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 that would be stepping down. You would be getting a demotion. You have been promoted to the Holy Spirit in the realm of the Spirit. Will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? Number two, it doesn't come to an end. If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if that was transitory, uh, or what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? If this thing that was just kind of a proverbial flash in the pan that would come and go because Moses, nobody else had glowy face. Moses is the only guy that had it in just this little time. But now Paul is saying, wow, no, if that was, if what was transitory or temporary came with glory, how much greater is the glory that lasts, that is eternal, that we have the Holy Spirit which will never go away. And that's the third thing, it cannot be hidden. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We're not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. And I can't help but think about the veil of the temple that was ripped in half. There was a veil. There was a wall of partition between eternity and time. The Holy of Holies and humanity on earth in time. But Jesus died, said it is finished, and that veil ripped in half. So the veil was removed. And full exposure has come to us. And it cannot be hidden. And the fourth and final thing here about this, it transfigures us in an ever-increasing glory. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. From the Holy Spirit from the presence of our Most High God, this glory comes. 
without limitations. The only thing that limits the glory of God and its ability to transform you into His image in an ever-increasing fashion of glory is you. It is our choice. I choose to be changed. I choose to be changed. The reason I wrote those lyrics in the song that I had written some time back, I know this path I've walked before, and it talks about when I come to Israel, I, I, I choose to be changed. It's a choice. We can allow metamorphosis or not. And I choose to be changed by God. I beg God, please change me. I don't like me really, ultimately. I, I, I know me too well to like me. If you know what I mean, in, in, in honesty, being circumspect at all times, we're weak. But God is so great, so wonderful. His kindness leads me to constant repentance. Or that word just means change, transformation, from glory to glory, ever-increasing glory. From glory to glory, it's a, it's, a, it's a type of a phrase in the Greek that means it will never end. Grace for grace, where it says that grace for grace. And, and my Bible school teacher explained it to me one time like this. It means this, that imagine you had a planet and, and the planet was covered with daisies. And daisies were the grace of God. And you picked the daisies until you spent, you spent all your time picking daisies. And let's just say you got down to the last daisy and you picked it. Lamenting that you'd pick the last daisy and you'd hold it up to the Lord whereby you would see another planet covered with daisies. And it would never end. That's what the Greek term means. The same phraseology is used for the glory. It will never end. It transfigures us in an ever-increasing glory. Every encounter you have with God can supersede the last encounter. Why would we back down? We get to a level. It's dangerous to start, well, you know, I've received, I've had, I've done. No, we just keep on growing, keep on learning, keep on manifesting God's glory. Let the light of God shine. You beg Him for it at all times. These are the things we saw. Radiant. Seven things about the purpose of the glory. Number one, the glory is connected to words and covenant. Number two, the glory is found with the Lord. Because it's intimacy with Him. That's where Moses got it. The glory makes us radiant as we speak with God. So our conversation with God, dialogue, we speak, He speaks. Listen carefully to hear Him speak to you. It's not just thunder. He's actually saying something. And in that moment, you then will become radiant. The glory then is for passing revelation. Whatever He's spoken to you, you will speak to someone else. And that's really where multiplication takes place. Because what was a revelation for one becomes a revelation for many. One seed planted can create hundreds of trees. The more people I preach to, the better. That's all I want to do is just whatever revelations God gives. That's why they're all written down, categorized, and cataloged, and archived. And I'm ready to teach nations. I'm going to go every place I can and tell them what God has spoken to me on the mountain. And I hope my face shines while I'm doing it. In other words, I invite the manifestation of the Spirit so that I can pass that revelation. The, the next one, number um, five, the glory must be administrated properly. We're all learning. Number six, the glory has a place and a time. And that is up to us. We decide. There's a right time and a right place. And when the time is right, we release what God has given us. Number seven, the glory is for presenting or representing God. We are God's representatives, and we want to do it in such a way that honors God. Amen. Thank you for listening to Antioch Center for the Nations. If you would like to support our efforts, please consider making a donation at www.antiochchurch.sg. Thank you.